Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osban, here with my friend and Chavruta and Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachet Yavamot, DAP Ayin Bet, page 72. Uh, so today's DAP is going to go through, again, uh, categories of people. And now it's not going to be about um, whether or not, you know, you were married to someone or slept to somebody, but more about physical issues that may prevent or allow you to eat truma. Uh, but before we get to that, there's an interesting piece that I just want to go through that actually starts on the bottom of Ayin Aleph Ahmed Bed, uh, which again continues our discussion from yesterday about the fact that Ben Israel did not do circumcision, did not do Brit Milah in the Midbar. Ubamidbar, my time alone, Mihul. So again, this is at the bottom of, Ahmed, uh, of Ayin Aleph Ahmed Bed. What's the reason that they were not circumcised in the Midbar? Ibaisema, if you want, you could say, Mishim Chulshad Orcha because of their exhaustion from uh, the way. In other words, that it's difficult to have that type of procedure and, you know, travel at the same time. And they never knew when they were going to have to travel and they wouldn't have enough time to recuperate. So they didn't do uh, Mila. The thing that I always found interesting about this explanation is, is presumably they were doing bris Mila at eight days of age. This sounds more of like an elder adult concern. <laughs> So that's always the thing that I never completely understood about that explanation, but okay, we'll take it as it is. If you want, you could also say, because the north wind did not blow for them. So what we need to know, as Rashi explains, is that the north wind is considered to be sort of this mild wind. It's not hot, it's not cold, um, and it allows the sun to shine through. So apparently it's some type of nice wind, but that wind didn't blow for them in the midbar. And now they're going to quote a Bryson to discuss this further. Detanya, as it was taught in a Bryson, all 40 years that they were in the Midbar, the north wind uh, didn't blow, didn't blow. And therefore, what that means is that the, the, the sun, uh, that you needed this wind to allow the sun to come through, didn't shine on them. This is, again, Rashi's explanation. And therefore, they wouldn't heal as quickly from circumcision from the Brit Milah because you needed the sun as well. So then the Gemara wants to know, my time, what's the reason that there was no, uh, this wasn't this Ruach Tzifoni? The Gemara answers, because they were being uh, rebuked, uh, they were being rebuked by Hashem, right? So what were they being rebuked about? So again, some of the commentators explain that it has to do with the, the uh, you know, the, uh, Chait uh, with the eagle has zahab again, you know. So okay, the ebay same, or you could say delo, um, delo nabdur ananeha kabod. It didn't come because it didn't want to disperse the wind, uh, the ananeh kabod, right? Those clouds that that sort of uh, traveled with them, so it wouldn't disperse. Now, I think these are, you know, that that's an amazing explanation because the ananeh kabod is a nace, so presumably you know, wouldn't that nace just withstand, you know, the north wind? So I think it's interesting to sort of see that as a possible uh, explanation. Or maybe what it's saying is, is that, again, you know, you have these clouds surrounding them, so the sun also couldn't get in. So, you know, maybe, but but that's not what it says. It literally says, so the wind wouldn't disperse the Ananei kabod Again, couldn't it just be that the miracle is, is that you had Ananei kabod and that the wind didn't disperse it? So then the Gemara goes on to say, Amara Papa, Hilkach Yoma de Eva, the Yoma de Shuta, Lo Mahalalin Bay. 
So therefore, we should not circumcise, right, on a cloudy day or even a day with, with many, many winds. So in other words, if there's some connection between healing of Brit Milah with weather, Rav Papa is basically saying, okay, if that's the explanation we want to use for why we didn't the Midbar, maybe this should still be true today. Um, and so then it says, below Mesochrinan, right? And we shouldn't let blood on those days. In other words, these are not good days to do medical procedures. Now, of course, today to modern readers, this is like, you know, we would never think about the weather. Although we do know some things, you know, people get headaches with change of weather or things like that, but we don't have a relationship between, uh, you know, healing and weather necessarily. So the Gemara says, Dina Darshu Ba Rabin. So now it seems that the masses um, have uh, have trodden on this path. That's what it literally means, meaning we, we do do these medical type of procedures. We do breed milah. We let blood on these days where maybe the sun doesn't shine through. Shomer Pitaim Hashem, because we basically say Hashem protects the simple. This is a pasuk from Tehillim chapter 116, verse six, right? That yes, maybe there is some inherent danger to this, but we basically assume that Hashem's going to protect us. Then the Gemara goes on to say, All the 40 years that B'nai Yisrael in the Midbar, There was not a day that the North Wind did not blow at midnight. So now this price is saying there was a North Wind, but it happened at night and not during the day to let the sun in. Shanamar, okay, and here they quote a pasuk from Shmot, chapter 12, verse 29. So we're talking about being in, in Mitzrayim at this point, right? That it was at midnight that Hashem, you know, killed, oh, this is Makas Bechoros. The Gemara says, Maitamuta. What is this verse teaching us? What, what is it talking about that there was sort of this north wind that came at midnight? Ha Kamash Malan. It's teaching us this. Dat Ritzon Milsahi, that this is a time of that that a time of favor, Milsahi is like a it's a thing, it's a significant thing, right? So the Gemara doesn't really have an explicit proof here because it doesn't say explicitly that the wind uh blew at midnight. Rather, what it's trying to say is that at midnight it seems to be sort of a time of, of favor because this miracle, or, or let's say this maka of makas bachoras was done at midnight. And so therefore it means that good things happen at midnight. And so it must be that this north wind, this Rurok Tzvonit, you know, uh, uh, blew then, that there's something special about midnight. I want to relate this back to, there's a Gamar and Brachos on Gimel Amut Bet, which talks about that harp that hangs over David Hamel's bed. And also that there's that Rurok Tzvonit that comes um, and it plays. And then that's when David Hamel would get up and he would study Torah uh, until uh, uh, until the the morning, so we do see there are you know obviously this is not the only gemara we have this gemara in brachas also that talks about this ruach tzvoni. I assume there must be some sort of like esoteric or kabbalistic interpretation to what this gemara is really uh, talking about. But it's interesting to see them sort of get on this real tangent. I, I, it bothers them that there wasn't circumcision in the midbar, and I think they're really trying to explain why it didn't have to be done, because it doesn't really logically make sense. We don't really, especially the weather explanation that they give. And I also find it interesting because uh, this isn't something that people don't know, but the general explanation that I think we're taught in school or, or if we hear about this thing about the not doing the Mila is usually just like, oh yeah, because they were, you know, 
they couldn't travel. But when you read the actual source in the Gemara, that's like brushed aside. It's one line. They spend much more time on this issue of the rural phonies. So I think this is also just a great example of like, you know, something that sort of everybody knows and talks about. But when you look at the original source, the Gemara, I think, has a much more deeper and interesting discussion than just saying, oh, they didn't do Mila because of travel. In fact, I, I don't think they're that interested in that particular answer. It doesn't really make sense to them. Um, I think that a lot of the ha what happens in the Midbar doesn't make sense to us now, meaning I think that's part of the, you know, both both for the miraculous and also for the puzzling. I think that that's part of what's going on there. I just want to make a comment on Shomer Patei Mashem, this verse from Tilim that, you know, functions as this kind of catch-all protection, like, well, that doesn't make sense. We're going to get harmed by that. No, God will look out for fools. Like, I feel like this is, I feel like often I, I, find myself saying Shomer Hashem, like, you know, may Hashem protect people who are in the, you know, who are doing the stupid thing, right? That we all end up, whether it's ourselves or, or people we know, we all end up knowing that not everything we're doing is the most wise thing all the time. Um, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, Yardana, but I will speak for myself. And I feel like knowing that we can kind of like, trust that Hashem will look out for us while we're being idiots is I think very comforting um, and then I used to say you know but I'm not a petty like there are times where you feel like but I know that this is foolish so then I uh, the people who are against protection and where does that leave me okay it's not it's it's kind of a side point on on this verse but um, it is how I relate to the verse I want to tackle Amabet or a significant portion of Amabet um we're still talking about Brit Mila. Um, and it says as follows. Where the the issue is, well, it's an issue about the particulars actually of how Brit Mila can happen. Um, specifically with some El Dekule Alma Meshoch Drabanan. We're talking about a child who's where the orla, where the foreskin has drawn been drawn forward, and um the Gemara says everybody agrees, Meshoch Drabanan, that this particular details, the obligation to, to give the Brit Milah, to do the circumcision on one whose physical body is in this way, is rabbinic. Um, and a child who has passed the Doraita time for, um, for getting that circumcision, right? That's part of the issue, right? The There are cases where it's tricky, right? The person you're supposed to, you're the, the right to time for circumcision is eight days old, unless the child can't handle it because of health issues. In which case, the right to issue, like this, is exactly the question: Is it then right or is it drabadad? So this is talking about where that's going to be considered drabadad. So what? This is what where they disagree. Marsavar dashinan uvayom. Marsavar lo dashinan uvayom. So what is this about? And this is. The, like the we're jumping in the middle of the case. We're going to talk about why is this rabbinic, why is this um, Torah law, but really what they're doing is they're looking at this verse in Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, where it says specifically, on the eighth day, the flesh of the orla will be circumcised, right? or the orla, whatever. The This is exactly the details of the of the Brit Milah. This is the Torah commandment. And it begins, Uvayom, and on that day. And so the question is, do you explicate that word, uvayom, 
is it superfluous? Meaning we already know it's on the eighth day. So what does it mean on the day of of the eighth day? Right? Like it it becomes it becomes extra. Um, um, okay. Um, I would say what's extra is the and, right? Which is often we can have a whole like digression into biblical grammar, which I don't really want to do. I just want to note that a lot of times there's a translation where there's a vav in the Torah of and, right, on all the verbs, you know, vayomer, and God said, which is probably more accurately translated, he said, vayomer. Not that that vav is an and, but in this case, that vav is and, and the question is, why is there an and here? And do we worry about it? So one mar, right, one sage, mar, mister, says um, that we do explicate it, and one says that we do not. And this then, you know, then the question is, where do you, what do you do with it? So, for example, um, for those who say that we do explicate it, that we do want to be care, we want to, what's the word here? That we do want to um, derive detailed details about the halachas here from this verse. Um, we then we would say it's specifically that it should be done on the eighth day meaning on the day of the eighth day and not on the night. And if you say you don't need the vav, you don't want to say that there's something to be learned here, then you could also give the brit milah at night. He had yati notar. So then we understand, the Gemara brings us to the case of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was sitting and explicating, expounding, specifically on notar. We haven't talked about notar in a long time. Notar is the... Um, when you have a korban, when you have a sacrifice, and it's left over beyond the time that the korban is supposed to be to be there, then you, the leftover is called notar, and it requires burning. You can't eat it. You can't do anything with it. Bism, um, so what happens? Bismano, if it's burned at the appropriate time, so here there's, again, this question of the verses that describe notar, leave open this dispute of whether it should be burned only during the day or could it also be burned um, during the night uh, during the day and in the night right meaning what does it mean that it must be burned bismano at its appropriate time so it's not exactly the same drusha it's not a question of an extra superlative you know vav and um, but it still is focusing on this question of when is the time that you're supposed to deal with it Rabbi Lazar raises a question or an objection to Rabbi Yochanan from the following. So Rabbi Lazar says, You want to say, Hello, Rabbi Yochanan, you want to say that that vav, right, that the notar, the example of notar is going to apply to the vav to say it specifically during the day, the same way that it applied to notar. But what about the fact that when you say uvayom, that it, it, we're explicitly talking about the eighth day, how do we understand that there are children who would then be circumcised on the ninth day or the tenth day or the eleventh day or the twelfth day, meaning depending on, depending on the child's health or whatever, we still accept that there are times when we would have a brit milah on subsequent days, you know, and how would we know that on those days it needs to be only during the day? And so therefore, says Rebbe Lezer, therefore, uvayob, the verse states that extra uvayob to teach that the 
the requirement to circumcise has to be on the day, even beyond the eighth day. <clears throat> and then, you know, I think that this is actually a pleasing drasha because it makes, instead of just saying like, well, on the eighth day, we already knew it has to be on the eighth day. And it kind of makes sense that if you're talking about the eighth day, you want to make sure that it happens already in the day, not the night before, right? The eighth night would be before the day of the eighth day. Um, so he's saying the what we learn is the Brit Milan must take place during the day. Okay, fine. Um, so, and then the Gemara says, even if you don't accept the idea that you should that you should explicate that second that extra vav, even if you think it's not superfluous or it doesn't bother you that you should learn a new halacha from it, once you have vav and he together, meaning uvayom, uh, right? That's bihayom, right? You've got the vav and he together. Then that together will um, that is something to to explicate, even for somebody who is more. Um, I don't know how to characterize this here, Dana. Maybe you have a, a phrase here. The the is a more casual approach to, but not really casual. It's a different kind of approach to the, to the very specific details that see, you know, are they, could they ever be considered superfluous or do you have to explicate them? Like where it doesn't matter if that, ex, you know, that those terms are explicated to derive halacha or not. In any case, Ishtik Rabbi Yochan at this point is silent. He has no response. Rabbi Elzer or the Gemara's presentation here silences him. Uh, meaning Notar is kind of rejected as the parallel for the Brit Milah. Bater Danafik, after Danafak, after Rebuzer left, then Rebbe Yochanan, who had been, right, um, who is, he, who was quiet, right? I mean, he, he accepted, or he at least appears to accept Rebuzer's argument. Aberle Rebbe Yochanan, Larish Lakish, Rebbe Yochanan says to Rish Lakish, Reiti. He so impresses that Rabbi Yochanan says to Rish Lakish, and we know that they are very often, you know, working together, learning together. They were friends. Um, he says, I saw that Rabbi Lezer, the son of Padat, was sitting, meaning that's his, that's his father's name, Padat, that he was sitting and expounding on the Torah like he was Moshe Rabbeinu, who received the Torah directly from the mouth of God. And Rish Lakish says, well, was it his own interpretation? Which I think is a very funny like uh, response to this kind of very, very high praise from Rabbi Yochanan. Again, Rabbi Yochanan is no slouch. So I imagine it's you know very exciting, not that Rabbi Elzer heard it, to get that kind of high praise. Rish Lakish has a sharp question. He says, why is that so exciting. It's a bright meaning it's it's its own. We know this from Tanaitic material. He says to Rabbi Yochanan, why are you being so impressed? So Rabbi Yochanan says, well, where is that taught? Where did you have this bright Apparently, Reish Lakish has information. This is interesting. We still read it, and we need to go back and one day talk about Reish Lakish's background as a, someone who wasn't steeped in learning in his youth, so let's put it that way. Um, but he knows where this break is, and apparently Rabbi Yochanan does not. He says, Torah Kohanim is the Midrash Halacha, the collection of Midrash Halacha, known also as the Sifra. It's the commentary or the Midrash Halacha on the book of Vayikra, which makes perfect sense, given that this verse is in Vayikra. And Rabbi Yochanan says, Nafak, he goes out, he finds 
Sifra, he finds the Midrash Halcha, he learns the whole thing in three days, the Savra Betlata Yerche, and then he comes to a profound understanding by three months, which, again, should not surprise us because we're talking about Rabbi Yochanan, but I always, I guess we both always love these tidbits about the sages and their lives and their the way they go about learning, meaning Rabbi Yochanan was clearly distressed that he didn't have knowledge of this Brayta that Rish Lakish no less did. And he goes and he, you know, buys, uh, acquires it for himself as a, as a, and, and so much more, right? To, to steep himself in Torah Kohanim. So, you know, first of all, we see our little Vavs turn up again, right? We had that discussion with Rabbi Akiva. This is generations later. So notice this issue of the Vavs consistently seems to come up. You know, what, what, how, careful are we with are we with darshaning even every letter or is that something we don't do but i think the model that rabbi yochanan presents here sort of like he saw somebody knew more than him and he went out and he basically figured out how to learn it is pretty amazing i mean i i you know i think there's a whole moral here to this story uh that could get passed over very quickly when we're looking at all the other details of this stuff yeah yeah i think that it's very i think I think that's what drew me to this passage. Right. And also more so than the details. Right. Also the idea that like Rabbi Yochanan was clearly already a gadol in, in his time, but like, he's basically being like, yeah, I don't know everything. This guy knew, you know, this, this piece of Torah that I didn't know. And now I got to go out and master it. I love the backstory. I love getting the insight. What happened after Rebbe Lazar leaves, right? What happens after the halacha is concluded? Right, exactly. I think that's, uh, you know, and, and, and obviously they wanted to record it for a reason, because I think it is telling us something that like, there's always an opportunity. First of all, even somebody like Rabbi Yochanan is not going to go know everything. And even somebody like Rabbi Yochanan has to continually be learning. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hydrum website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.